we come before you this morning. We ask now that you take this service, and Lord, that you would encourage us in your word, that you would help us to worship you this morning, that truly we would be obedient to your word and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. This morning, in our message, I would like for us to look at just one word, and, and a word that's uh, become almost uh, uh, with negative connotations. Of course, it never really is in the Bible, unless it's talking about uh, wrong or improper, and uh, the word is the word doctrine. Uh, we have... Uh, Churches today that advertise that uh, we have no doctrine. There are uh, theologians that claim that Jesus taught no uh, specific doctrine. And, of course, uh, there's... Uh, uh, how do you say this? There's no excuse for such foolishness. I mean, the Bible is very clear that, that Jesus taught uh, doctrine... And uh, I want us to turn to the book of Mark chapter 1, and we're going to move around in the Bible a little bit. We're not going to have one specific text, but several actually. And um, we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, in verse 22. It says, well, let's get verse 21 here. It says, and they went into Capernaum. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he, Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And verse 22, And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Let's skip down to verse 27. And they were all amazed insomuch they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Now, here is what we have. Jesus entered into the synagogue there. The synagogue was the uh, standard uh, uh, form of worship when you could not be in Jerusalem at the temple. And he was teaching. And as Jesus was teaching, the people who were listening to him were astounded. They were astonished. They were shocked. I mean, it was something very different than anything they had ever heard before. And Mark gives us insight into what made Jesus' teaching different than anything they had ever heard before in the synagogue. Now, I want you to understand, in the synagogue, there were scriptures. In fact, behind me, behind these two doors, is the what they called the ark, was where they kept the Torah scrolls when this building uh, was used as a synagogue. And uh, the scrolls that they had in there, if you could read in English what was written on Hebrew in those scrolls, would be what's in your Bible, what's in your old King James Bible. It is the same text. And these synagogues, the synagogue that Jesus had entered into in the town of Capernaum, there on the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, 
uh, had scriptures. They read from the scriptures every Sabbath. There were people who opened the scriptures and said, this is what I think they mean. But Jesus, when he started teaching, he taught differently. And it says that he taught with authority. Now, I want to uh, just bring out a couple of points about what doctrine is. Because if you, if you listen, people will say, you know, our, our church is, is so good, we have no set doctrine, and, and we just get along with everybody. Well, that's not what Jesus did. He taught with authority. Uh, somebody just the other day said, well, you know, we all worship the same Christ, uh, uh, the same God. And, uh, uh, and when anybody says that to me, I say, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, these, these different churches, if we'll just go back in history a little bit, uh, how many of you know that the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church actually fought wars? I mean, raised armies and went in and sacked and killed and all the things, horrors that are associated with war, these churches... Uh, propagated against each other. And if we come up a few hundred years uh, into the 1500s especially, guess what? The Protestant churches and the Catholic churches were were fighting wars. And, uh, I mean, people were being killed and cities were being destroyed, all because we all worship the same God, Right? Well, if we were fighting wars with each other, how in the world could we be worshiping the same God? We got to stop and we got to think about that. And here, oftentimes people will say, well, what's the difference between what Jesus did and, and what was going on in the synagogues and in the Jewish religion before Jesus came along? Well, I I want to challenge you something. It has to deal with this little word called, well, it's not a little word, it's a big word, authority. Uh, I will challenge you. How many of you have ever been involved in a personal conflict? I mean, you had on the outs with another human being. Am I the only one with my hand up this morning? Okay, come on. No, you can't be honest in church. You're not going to be honest anywhere, right? Do you know that 90% of the problems that we face in this life with other human beings all deal with this little word called authority? Authority is an incredible word. It's one we don't like. Who are you to tell me what to do? Don't say that to a New York City police officer. Just don't do it. You're going to get an answer, and you're not going to like it. You know why? Because they have authority to tell you what to do. You see, the word authority, the definition is the power or right to enforce obedience. Moral or legal supremacy. The right to command or give an ultimate decision. 
We have spent so much time teaching that it's wrong to be right that everybody's wrong today. I mean, we have teachers in public schools that will not mark on the paper in red ink because it's like yelling at your students. Serious. Praise God, not all the teachers are like that. But there are some. And that two plus two, just because you don't put four down on the paper, doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. Well, don't do that when you're figuring your taxes. Because the IRS has a little different view than the New York Department of Education. And if you add up the numbers wrong, they're going to send you nice letters and tell you that you're wrong and you owe them more money. In fact, you owe them money just because you made a mistake sometimes. Not even because there's anything really wrong there, but if you, if you didn't put it on the right line or you didn't do this, you can get yourself in all kinds of trouble. And yet, when it comes to the Bible... I've heard people say, well, the problem with the world, the strife, is people who believe they're the only ones right. Well, I want to go on record. Never, ever have we said Open Door Bible Baptist Church is the only thing right. That has never come out of my mouth. But just about every service, I will tell you that what's written down in this book and what God has said is the only thing that's right. Uh, We're not ashamed of the authority of the Word of God. That's what doctrine is all about. And by the way, the only, uh, the Bible doctrine is not the only doctrine that is out there. How many of you have ever heard or understand the Monroe Doctrine? Does anybody, does that name, how many students of history do we have? Uh, The Monroe Doctrine came from the president, Monroe. Because other nations in Europe were monkeying around, if we can use that terminology, with governments here in the Western Hemisphere. And the president of the United States said, we're not going to put up with undue influence from outside powers in the hemisphere of our influence. Now, has that doctrine always been enforced? No. In fact, according to our current administration, the Monroe Doctrine has been rescinded. It is no longer in force. The the, uh, United States will no longer interfere with outside influences in governments in the Western Hemisphere. That's politics. Glad I'm not a politician. But I'll tell you this, the more outward influence we have in governments, the more conflict we're going to have. You see, this word authority means something. It also means the power to, the power to influence the conduct and actions of others. 
personal or practical influence. To have authority to, to influence the decisions of others. I, I like to tell my children, listen, I'll, I'll say, I would like you to clean up your room. What am I doing? I'm exercising one type of authority. I am influencing them in the proper direction to make proper choices to go in and clean up the mess. Now, what happens if that doesn't happen? If I walk by and it hasn't happened, well, then I have to exercise another type of authority. Get in there and clean it up right now or else. What's else? You don't want to find out what else is. You know what else is. Yes, sir. And it gets done. Listen, sometimes. Uh, sometimes you've got to take them by the hands, especially the little boys, and walk in there and say, this is what we mean by cleaning up the room. And helping them understand that cleaned up room is all the Legos, not just the big pieces. Amen? Uh, and this is authority. When Jesus taught in the synagogue, they were astonished. The people were shocked. They couldn't believe what they were hearing because Jesus taught them with authority. You know what he was doing? He was demanding that your practice equal your belief. How many of you are familiar with the term compartmentalization? You know what that is? That's a handy little gadget for saying, you know what? you got to give me credit for thinking right even if I'm not doing right. You see, this part of me knows what is right and how to do it right. And, and this part of me over here does everything wrong. And so you got to give me credit for this part over here. Well, the Bible, uh, how do I say this kindly? Uh, the, the Bible does not recognize compartmentalization as an honorable way of living. I guess that's about as kind as it could be said, isn't it? You see, Jesus taught them with authority. He said, if you're not doing what I say, then you don't believe my doctrine. I remember when I was a student in Bible college, it was a real big thing, and, uh, and often would hear this even from preachers visiting the school. says, well, you know, you can't preach sermons on doctrine because they're, they're boring. Well, what makes doctrine boring? It's the fact that you separate it from action. And you just want to talk about all these theoretical things and all these uh, high up in the heaven things. And you want to talk about how we ought to think and how we ought to feel. And Jesus never taught that way. He, when he taught, he said, listen, this is what it says. And if you believe what it says, you're going to have to do something about it. And the people were shocked. Why, why should our religion govern the way we live. 
Well, because if doctrine is real, it's authoritative. It says that things ought to be done. And Jesus uh, illustrated his authority in verse 23. It says, and there was a man, I'm sorry, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And so we have this man who was under demonic influence. And as Jesus was teaching, he began to speak out loud, out of turn, and interrupt. Now, I want you to notice what he said. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, how many other people in the synagogue understood that Jesus was the Holy One of God? At this point, we have no one making that statement. You know what? This guy knew more than the leader of the synagogue. But where did he get his knowledge? said he had an unclean spirit. You know, the devil's not wrong about everything. But he will use what is right to accomplish something wrong. If Jesus accepted testimony from the devil, what was he doing? He would be saying, yeah, we're, we're friends. We're on the same page here. It'd just be like uh, if I got up and, and said, uh, you know, I'd like to introduce you to one of my best friends and closest associates, John Gotti. Now, I can't do that. He's dead. But what would you immediately think about me if I said John Gotti was one of my best friends? Would anybody think anything good? I would hope not, because there's nothing good about John Gotti. Well, did he help some people? Well, of course he did, but so does the devil. We don't want that kind of advertising. And Jesus told the demon, the man who was under the influence of this devil, to shut up. And he told the demon to come out of him and to leave him alone and... The unclean spirit torn him. You know, the devil always likes to put on a show. So imagine, here's Jesus teaching in the synagogue, and he's saying, listen, you can't just mentally assent to what is true. You've got to make decisions to follow, to be obedient with your life to that which the Bible states. And all of a sudden, this guy starts screaming out, I know who you are! You come to destroy me. You're, you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, hold thy peace and come out of them. And the guy screams, which if I tried to do this morning, I wouldn't be able to finish the sermon. But he makes this horrible noise and falls down on the ground and wiggles all over the place and does all kinds of crazy things. But he's quiet. Doesn't say anything else. <clears throat> and they start looking around and they say, not only does he teach with authority, he 
he exercises authority. He actually says things. And you see, the Jewish people had lots of connection. Read your New Testament. You're going to see people possessed with devils. You say, why don't we have that kind of stuff today? Well, I believe we have a lot more of it than people are willing to give credit for. But uh, the devil just does not have the freedom to do what he would like to do all the time because of the work of the Holy Spirit that's in our society today. But I want us to look at this thing called authority. You see, doctrine determines the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And you know what that's... You say, so? uh, Well, wait a minute. What is going on in our society today? Things that are wrong and have been wrong since the beginning of time are now touted and voted into being as right. Uh, We were just told by our governor that if you're a politician in New York State, and I'm quoting him in context, and you believe that it's wrong to murder a baby in its mother's womb, that there is no place for you in this state. Well, I'd like to inform the governor that we're not leaving. And we're not changing because one uneducated peon, that little tiny person in the cog of our society, decides that he's going to redefine right and wrong. You see, there's a book called the Bible that has some authority, and it says that is wrong. But I'll tell you what. You go out and get doing other things the Bible says is wrong and find yourself or your girlfriend with child out of wedlock and you're in an embarrassing situation, I'll promise you this. You'll think about abortion. Hopefully there'll be enough Bible in you to stop you from doing that. But I promise you this, you'll think about it. You see, doctrine has authority to tell us between right and wrong. I get so tired of, well, you can't stop the young people from being immoral in our society. It's just the natural way of of human nature. It's just what people do. Uh, Since when? Who changed the rules? But it's legal to smoke marijuana now. Recreational use of marijuana is no longer wrong. It's no longer legally wrong, according to the laws of New York State. But, you know, there's some things in this book called the Bible 
that says it is wrong for me to yield the influence of my thought patterns to anything but the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? You see, that's what Jesus, when he taught with authority, was talking about. There's a difference between what is right and what is wrong. And Jesus' doctrine condemned that which was wrong. And that's why he began to run into so many conflicts with the religious people of his day. Because Jesus would look at them and say, Listen, you're not teaching the Bible correctly. And, of course, what is the standard answer? Well, that's your interpretation. You know what? No one's had enough guts to say that to me in a very long time. It is so ridiculous. You can interpret the Bible any way you want. We'll grant you that. I had a guy got into an argument with a Muslim man several years ago, and he said, you can't misinterpret the Quran." I said, give me one. I said, I can misinterpret the Quran." I said, I'll have you so messed up, you won't even know what the book said. I said, I've had lots of practice listening to preachers do it with this book. If they can do it with this one, I'll guarantee I can do it with yours. I said, bring me one. He didn't. But I'll tell you what, if you'll read what the words say on the pages, there's not a lot of room for interpretation of this book called the Bible. You have to follow a few rules. One is, understand what the words mean both in their historic and cultural setting, in the grammatical setting as they are put together. But most of all, and this is the classic one where everybody messes up, you've got to keep it in its biblical context. Excuse me, if I read a verse in the Bible and I understand that verse to contradict another verse in the Bible, well, then my understanding is incorrect. Because there aren't contradictions in God's Word. We start from there. And when you start there, all of a sudden, this Bible makes sense. I've got a book on my shelf where this guy went through and did all the work and studied this thing out. He said, he quotes people who believe wrongly about the Bible and they'll say, if you accept a literal understanding of the Scripture, this is what you'll come out with. Yeah, exactly, correct. But we don't believe that you should interpret the Bible that way. And then they go off to make their point that they wanted to make in the first place. Well, see, Jesus just simply said, this is what God said. He meant what He said. And... If you're going to obey God, then you're going to do what God said. That's authority. Why do we hate authority? Because 
they might make me do something I don't want to do. I haven't asked Sarah this yet, but I'm going to. When she was a lot younger, she said, Daddy, if I follow God, will he make me marry somebody ugly? Something a teenage girl might think about. Now she's getting married. I haven't asked her the question again, but I'm going to. Not in the wedding ceremony. That's not the place. But, listen. Why do we accuse God of doing wrong when we have so much of a problem doing wrong? Why can't we accept His authority? His direction. His definition. Every once in a while, one of my kids will say, But Dad, I did what you said. And my standard answer is this. You don't own the dictionary. I do. I'm the one that has the right of definition. And by my definition, what you did is wrong. Are you really that way with your kids? Oh, yeah. You know why? Because the Bible says that a father ought to exercise authority in his home. Ooh. You know what? That's frowned upon today. It's frowned upon in society. It's frowned upon when it comes to the church. It's frowned upon in every place we go. You know what? We could solve the problems with our society today, as bad as it is, with just a little bit of authority. Amen? Everybody, look, read the book of Judges. Every man did that which was what? Right in his own eyes. That's what happens when you don't have authority. When you have authority, you have someone who is saying, this is the difference between right and wrong, and if you're on the wrong side of the issue, you need to get right. That's what Jesus was doing in the synagogue. He was teaching them that holding on to their traditions and their thoughts of God was wrong. And if they were going to have salvation, if they were going to have a relationship with God, they needed to obey His teaching. Let's go on to Luke chapter 4. In verse 32, Jesus was again teaching in Capernaum in the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as Luke relates this story, which is basically the same story, he gives us just another little view of what happened. It says, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Now, there's another word. Authority, 
and power. How many of you have ever tried to run something electrical only to find out that it wasn't plugged in? Isn't that frustrating? Remember one time one of, uh, one of the sons came and said, Dad, the vacuum cleaner's broke. It's not working. No, the vacuum cleaner wasn't broken. It was working. It was the extension cord that was broken and wasn't working. So what happened? The power was not getting from the outlet to the unit. It doesn't work. And you know what? A lot of people are very content with a religion that is powerless. With a religion that doesn't do anything or accomplish anything. Jesus said, I'm not satisfied with that kind of religion. When he taught, his word was with authority. It says here that his word was with power. That things happen. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And this is a story of the Apostle Paul and Actually, the, the verse that got me started on this entire sermon preparation for today, as I've read over this many, many times, I said, boy, I've got to preach on it sometime, and, and, and just felt like today was the day. But we have the story uh, of, of Barnabas and Paul uh, uh, going here to the island of Cyprus, and they met this guy. Who's, in verse 8, his name was Elimus. He was a sorcerer. He was uh, under demonic influence. And we got here, in verse 8, it says, But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy, or the, um, the uh, deputy of the, of the city there, from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. Now look at the rest of this verse. Being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You know, I think one of the reasons we are so inefficient in our presentation of Bible doctrine is it's without power. Now don't get me wrong. I don't believe that we should go around blinding people and casting, you know, doing all these things like you see on the television. You say, <coughs> but, but wouldn't that prove that the Word of God is true? I got a question for you, one that we've been through uh, before. Follow it with me, and if you've heard it before, just be patient. But if I could do miraculous signs. Let's say I could go down to the old Astoria General here and empty the hospital. I mean, they got the guy on the operating table and I come up and touch him on his foot and he hops off the table and says, Doc, I don't need the surgery and walks out of the hospital. I mean, that would be a miracle. Those were the type of miracles that Jesus did. He didn't have to have a television camera and offering plate to get anything done. He just did it because he had power. 
But then I came from the hospital and stood in this pulpit and told you something that wasn't in the Bible, something that disagreed with the Bible. Would you believe me? I said, well, wait a minute. Look what I did. I did this miracle down at the hospital. It is certified. I mean, we had Channel 2 News down there to prove. Is there a Channel 2 News in New York City? I don't know. I don't watch TV. But uh, the simple thing is, if I said, listen, that miracle proves who I am. And I have the right to change the Word of God. You know what? There would be some people that believe me. Just like they believe Sun Young Moon and the Pope and all the other people that say we have the right to change God's Word. But if you're an honest believer in the Bible, you'd say, wait a minute, no, there's, you see, the Bible has this thing called authority. It is the final arbiter of truth. I cannot appeal what the Bible says. Well, then the next statement is, then what do the miracles prove if all we have to do, and no matter what miracle I did, we still had to go and check it from the Bible? That's why we reject this modern miracle movement because it does not prove anything. Everything is proven on the basis of the Word of God. Amen? That's where the authority comes from. Well, what about the power? Well, let me ask you a question. If you're here today and you're saved and you know Jesus has forgiven you over your sins, would you just say amen out loud? There's the power. How many of you have had the victory over temptation in your life? I'm not saying every time, but you've had victory over temptation and sin in your life because you obeyed what it said in this book called the Bible. Would you say amen? amen. Uh, there's the power. To raise children that love God in an ungodly world. There's the power. Uh to have peace among ourselves from all the varied and different backgrounds we come from and to sit in this building in unity one with another based upon the words of this book. I would say that qualifies for power. How about you? I didn't get as much that time. But have you ever thought about that? Do you get along with everybody at school or at work? No. Can you get along with everybody at church? Uh, if you'll surrender to the authority, this book will give you the power not only to get along, but to love each other. Ooh, I like that. You see, that's doctrine. Doctrine has authority. Doctrine has power. And we can't determine everything about other people. But I'll tell you what. Power to still preach the same message 
that was preached a hundred years ago, or five hundred years ago, or a thousand years ago. You know what? No one else has that kind of power. Stop and think about it. If you have a science textbook that is ten years old, it is out of date. But the Bible's still in date, though it was finished about 100 A.D. That puts the Bible, uh, the newest parts of the Bible at 1,900 years old. And the oldest parts of the Bible at over 3,000 years old. And yet it is still up to date. Don't try that with your computer software. It's out of date next week. That's power. And any person or any society which has even loosely based their lives on the principles that this book teaches has freedom and things that other societies just don't have. Study history. You see, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This thing called doctrine is important. It says, now the Spirit, verse 1 of chapter 4, now the Spirit speaks, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's go to verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading. Reading what? The Bible. To exhortation. That's preaching. To doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by, the pro- by prophecy, with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, and give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself, and them that hear thee. Now, you read that last verse, it says, If you'll continue in doctrine, if you'll take heed to thyself and unto doctrine, it says you're going to save yourself and them that hear thee. Okay, so do you get saved by taking heed to doctrine in the Bible? Well, you have to obey what the Bible says to get saved, amen? But... It's not talking about my salvation because who keeps my salvation? Jesus does. But what he's saying here is, and this is backed up by other passages of Scripture, do you know that even if you get saved, 
you could mess up and lose your rewards. You can lose your testimony. And you can lose the ability to serve God. You see, this thing called doctrine is authoritative. It has power. But guess what? It's got to be continually worked on. That's why we have preaching at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Every once in a while I get a call. Do you have a Bible study at your church? Oh yes, we do. Every Thursday night we study the Bible. In fact, we've been through uh, with some few exceptions in the Gospels. We've been through every verse of the New Testament in expository preaching. But we don't have the kind of Bible study you're probably thinking about. We don't sit in a circle and just share our ignorance. Of course, that always gets people upset. Well, well, you think you're the only one that has any good ideas? Absolutely not. But when you go to college, when you get taught something, guess what? It's usually best if you have a teacher. And the Bible has ordained the office of pastor-teacher. Read it in there. That's, that's my duty. I, and I often refer to it this way. My job is to be a signpost. I'm supposed to be pointing in the right direction. And it's your personal responsibility what you do with that direction. You see, doctrine is authoritative. If you'll surrender to the authority of that doctrine, its power will be manifest in your life. It will change you for the better if it's Bible doctrine. For the worse if it's not. But God has ordained the foolishness of preaching. Why? Because we forget. You know what? I'm glad the church sends me to meetings. You know why? Because as a preacher, as the one who preaches, I need to have time to be preached at. And that's important. That's what Paul was saying, by take heed to thyself. It's something, and, and I ask for your prayers, because it's not an easy world to live according to the Bible in. How many of you agree with that? Well, how are we going to do it? Uh, doctrine. You know what, we haven't spent a lot of time on the doctrine itself, but just what it does. I want us to uh, turn to Titus chapter 1. you got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. In fact, let's stop at uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4 before we get to Titus in verse 2. Uh, read 1 and 2. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. If you've been around this church any period of time at all, nothing I have said today you haven't heard before. 
In fact, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon, never knowingly or purposefully, with something that isn't biblical. That means it's not my ideas. You see, that's what authority is about. I can't just preach what I want to preach. I've, had, I've talked to some preachers and say, Boy, I can't wait to get back to church. I'm going to straighten out this problem. I see what's going on. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not my job. I mean, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I've got some issues in my life. I'm going to get out the Bible and I'm going to help you all I can. But the pulpit isn't a place to attack individuals or preach at people. It's a place to present Bible doctrine with authority and with power. Because God will do the work if we'll surrender to the authority of His Word. Amen? It's got to continually be done. I'm glad when He saves us, He saves us forever. Amen? But you know what Jesus said? In that day, there will be many that say unto me, Lord, Lord. There's going to be a lot of people who think they're saved that aren't. How in the world are we going to solve that problem? Uh, By preaching what salvation truly is. So that people who think they have or have a false salvation or a false assurance can understand that what they have is not biblical and they need to get what the Bible says. Guess what? Doctrine will save you from yourself. I wish I had a dollar for every person said, but pastor, this is what I think. Oh, my. You know what? God's not interested in what I think. He's not interested in what you think. He's interested in what he said. That's what he's interested in. You see, what he said is with authority. And we could go through the whole thing today. He has authority because he's the creator. Amen? He does own the dictionary, by the way. He has the right to define the terms. He has the right to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And by the way, He's given us a Bible that is very explanatory. It is very simple. You don't have to spend much time in this book to know the difference. We had a guy come visit us several years ago and he says, you know, we're into this new drama thing. He says, it really helps people understand about their sin. And I said, I don't want to be rude to you. I said, but we live in New York City. If there's one subject everybody understands in New York City, it's sin. We don't need to learn anything more about sin. We already know too much. What we need to do is learn about Jesus. What I wanted to say is how your stupid little people up there going, "Eh, eh, 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 eh," is going to teach you anything about Jesus. It doesn't. What you need is to read the words. 
and to understand what they say. You see, Titus chapter 1, verse 5 will be done. I'm sorry, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. That's the duty. That's why we spend a lot of time on doctrine in this church. Because it means something. It has authority. And that means if you're in disagreement with authority, you're wrong. That's what authority is. It has power. We could take anyone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ for any period of time in their life, and they can tell you, about the power of God in their life. Amen? But it's not something you get in a day or a month or a year or a decade. It's something you have to devote your life to and to continue in that doctrine because if you don't, you're going to let some things slip. You know, we don't make a big deal about baptism here. It has nothing to do with your salvation. But I couldn't tell you how many people said, I want to be a member of the church. And I began to explain to them what the Bible says about baptism. And they, I was baptized. I said, well, no, not biblically. You see, in order to be biblically baptized, you have to be baptized by a biblical authority, which is a local Bible-believing church. And if that church is honest in any way, shape, or form today, it's going to have the name Baptist somewhere in the, in the name. Now, that doesn't guarantee everything. There's lots of dishonest Baptists. Uh, study some of our politicians But we, we believe in Bible doctrine. And we're going to try to practice Bible doctrine. Because that's the key to God's power being active in my life. And that's what we're told to do in season, out of season, today, tomorrow, and until Jesus comes. And all God's people said, Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us as a church to be faithful to Bible doctrine. To just be honest with what is right and what is wrong. Lord, that we would be careful not to be needlessly offensive. That we would not be rude or crude in our keeping of the gospel. In our obedience to doctrine. 
But Lord, that we would be under Your authority and in Your power and continually walking in sound doctrine. Lord, You can't be sound in Your doctrine until You're saved first. So our prayer is with those who are unsaved here today. That they would be willing to leave wrong doctrine and accept what is true. What the Bible says about them and their eternal soul. What it says about Jesus and what He's done to save us from our sins. Lord, we pray for those that are saved but have yet to follow You in baptism. That they would be willing to surrender to the authority of Bible doctrine and be biblically baptized. Lord, we pray for those that are just struggling with life as we speak here. The answer is not in turning over a new leaf or just trying to feel better about things. The answer is in surrendering to the power of biblical doctrine. Lord, we ask that You would give us the humility and the grace and the strength to surrender to You and Your Word. That we may walk in sound doctrine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation 309. Almost persuaded.